tonight, the home front versus the Russian front. The whole world is watching us. This cannot wait. Ukraine Zelensky comes to Washington begging for billions to protect his border, while Americans beg Biden for help on our border. It is literally spiraling out of control. This is a Texas cheerleader's family becomes victims of this broken policy. Will Democrats give Ukraine to Putin to keep the southern border open? Harvard stalls and anti-Semitism rolls. The university president under fire for her shocking set of double standards and now accusations of plagiarism. Bill O'Reilly on how far Harvard fails to grasp the trouble therein. Pressure building as Israel goes house to house to find terrorists hiding in Gaza. The White House tries to tie their hands. The center of gravity is the civilian population. How many is too many? and why pressuring Israel will backfire on Mr. Biden. And dads, chads, and brads. Our mom went to a Taylor Swift concert six weeks ago and never came back. That's why me, Chad, and dad are mad. How Taylor Swift showed what she really thinks of middle America. A basket of deplorables. Plus, the woman empowerment singer shows up for a Gaza fundraiser why she won't say a word about the women raped and tortured by Hamas. Hmm. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, the Ukraine pickle. You're going to hear a lot about the fight to fund Ukraine over the next few days. And the media will tell you evil Republicans are playing politics with national security. Let's be honest for a second. And this is now clear by their own logic. It is more important to the White House that they protect their open border policy than save Ukraine from Vladimir Putin. It is that simple. Here are some key parts of the deal that's on the table right now. Ukraine would get $15 billion for training and intelligence, $13 billion for weapons. There's also $8 million set aside for the oversight of the spending. At the border, nearly $2 billion would go towards enhancing security, another billion for hiring immigration judges, $11 million to combat human and drug trafficking, and Republicans want some changes to asylum policy. That would make it harder for illegal immigrants to stay in the United States. Here is the Democratic response as laid out by Senator Chris Murphy. If Republicans don't get reasonable in the next 24 to 48 hours, um, Russia is going to march into Ukraine, China is going to be given a green light to invade Taiwan. The world for my children is fundamentally different. We asked Senator Murphy if he'd like to be here with us this evening. He declined. We offered him any night this week. He says he's busy. We offered to pre-tape any time during the day to discuss his remarks. We'll get back to you if he agrees. But let's just take Democrats' logic at face value. It's going to be World War III unless Republicans back down. So let's review quickly how we got here. We've given $23 billion in military aid to Ukraine since the war began, including an army's worth of weapons, $40 billion in other aid that runs out over the holidays. And, well, the White House and Democrats in the Senate say things could get really bad over the holidays if we don't pony up. Putin's going to roll tanks into Kyiv. And that might be the least of our worries Senator Chris Murphy, as you said, heard, says the war could spread. Our sons and daughters are at risk of being a part of a larger conflict. And it's not just Putin. Other dictators watching what Congress is doing. Okay, so you heard Senator Murphy. That's the White House budget director. They're reading from the same talking points. 
So let's give Democrats their best argument. Give a blank check to support Ukraine or it's the risk of World War III. There's a lot of smart people who disagree with that premise, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt that that is true. So let's give equal and fair treatment to the crisis at the southern border. By any reasonable and fair measure, the southern border is open. 1.7 million came across in 2021, 2.3 in 2022, another 2.4 million in the past year, another record. Of course, those are the number of people that we know about. Border Patrol agents now describe their job as border processors. People come across, the Border Patrol processes their asylum claims and very often lets them into the United States with a pinky promise to appear in court years from now. This weekend, we got a firsthand lesson in the dangers of that policy. Police in Edna, Texas, just arrested an illegal immigrant for killing a 16-year-old cheerleader. I'll have more on that story in a minute. But let's briefly return to the larger issue. By their own logic, as you heard from Senator Murphy, Democrats would rather give Ukraine to Putin and give Taiwan to China then give Republicans a win on an issue two-thirds of Americans agree on. 64% of Americans disapprove of Mr. Biden's handling of the southern border, but you won't hear about the border tomorrow. Zelensky of Ukraine shows up at the White House to see Mr. Biden. You're going to hear a lot of dire warnings about democracy and protecting borders and the rule of law. And the rest of the media will frame this just like the White House does. The crazy MAGA Republicans won't defend Ukraine because they love Putin. But if you deal with the issue fairly, there's a really pretty clear deal to be made. And remember, President Biden promised to make bipartisan deals. However, he will not make this deal. By the Democrats' own logic and statements, it's more important to the White House that they protect an open border policy than to save Ukraine from Putin. It is that simple. With us now, Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. Um, Be fair, we'll turn this around. Um, If we give Democrats their best argument that you got to protect Ukraine, you got to save Ukraine. Why is it worth it for Republicans to tie border funding to that policy? The only way that we're ever going to get this administration to change is to tie it to something they care deeply about. You would think, and by the way, I care about giving, uh, supporting Israel, for example. Uh, but we've got to support our border. I, I asked Leland, who is against controlling our border? Who wants to go to the American people and say, by the way, we love this open border? God, more people come. Democrats have taken that position. It's the craziest thing in the world. We've got to control that border. Republicans think the only way that we have leverage to make them do the right thing is to say, listen, you're not going to get any more funding for whatever else you want until we control that border. All right. So a couple of statements from you um, in the past. I do think we, the United States and allies, should provide the Ukrainians everything they need to fight back. Combat and aircraft missiles, as well as MiGs and drones. Um, You call them a pariah state, meaning the Russians back in 2024. Um, That would argue that national security and confronting Vladimir Putin is more important than domestic political considerations like No, it does not either. It says it's important. The Russians are trying to kill us. All over the world, the Russians are trying to kill us. The Ukrainians standing up to them helps us tremendously. Let's first say that. But you can have an equivalence there. You can say, listen, we want to help our allies. We want to help Ukraine. We want to help Israel. Boy, do I want to help Israel. We've also got to help ourselves. And this administration doesn't want to help ourselves. They want to have that open border. I'm quite willing. I want to support our allies. I really also want to control our border. This administration doesn't. I keep asking, why would they not want to control that border? 
All right, so this is Senator Scott after the 2022 midterm speaking about times that Republicans have tried to pressure this White House. Take a listen. The Republican leadership caved in on the debt ceiling, caved in on a gun bill, caved in on a fake infrastructure bill. The, the next part of that question would be, why should the White House and Democrats take Republicans seriously this time? Well, first, I'm not going to accept uh, Senator Scott's characterization okay. of some of the things he's talking about. But then don't take it seriously. And then you won't get your funding. I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> okay. okay, you want to play chicken? Let's play chicken. The fact is, is that I think you understand why the open border for them. Has anybody explained to you, Chris Murphy and others? These are these are reasonable politicians. If you sit around them, it's not not on the TV cameras. Do they tell you why this is such a sacred cow for them? No, just that they think Republicans are being unreasonable. I'm saying this should not be a partisan ask. This is not like a Republican ask. This is an American people ask. Look at you. You quoted the statistics on President Biden. He's in the tank on a lot of issues, but one thing he's in the tank about is how poorly the southern border is doing. That's what Democrats, independents, Republicans. You can say, we're trying to throw you a lifeline, man. Why don't you control that southern border? If you control that southern border, maybe your numbers move up a little bit. Uh, Well, it's kind of funny, and you could blame Republicans for forcing him into this, and you can still get credit for controlling the southern border, but um, they won't do it. Zelensky, I know, is going to be meeting with you um, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow or Wednesday. Tell me what uh, you're going to say to him. Well, we're going to listen to him more than we're going to talk. But he's going to describe what's happening there. What questions do you have for him? Um, What is your strategy to end this war? Can you accomplish victory without superior air power? The Biden administration has not given them superior air power. Now we're starting to give them jets, but it's only very late in the game. The United States would never go to a war, into a war, unless we had superior air power. In a sense, the administration has tied an arm behind his back. Now, everybody's saying this is going so long. It's going so long in part because the Biden administration has been so kind of like, we're not going to give you what you need. Slow roll. Yeah, fair enough. A slow roll on the things that would be essential. Until you control the airspace, it's going to be difficult to achieve victory. Uh, I'd like to hear what his strategic vision is. Fair enough. Interesting. Come back and talk to us after he does. All right, sir. Leland, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We appreciate the time. Uh, The White House, speaking of another issue in foreign policy, wants to rein in Israel. That, however, isn't working. In fact, it's backfiring. Here is the vice president, for example. We have been very clear about where we stand on this, which is innocent civilian lives should not be intentionally targeted and that Israel must do more to protect innocent life in Gaza and innocent civilians in Gaza. Must do more? How much more? Who knows? If the current unknown number of Palestinian civilians killed is too many, how many is okay? Was 100,000 civilians in Tokyo too many? Was 74,000 civilians in Nagasaki too many? Was upwards of 25,000 civilians in Dresden too many? How about the estimated 10,000 American civilians killed by America and its allies in Mosul just a few years ago. That's Mosul, Iraq, in the fight against ISIS. Of course, one death, one innocent death, is too many. But this is war. War is hell. And the White House wants it both ways. They want to support Israel, and they want the support of those who want to destroy Israel. We've been saying that for a while now. Thus, the Democratic Civil War continues. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called an American veto of the U.N. Security Council ceasefire resolution, quote, shameful. War requires moral clarity, good versus evil. 
which the Israel-Hamas battle is. The White House wants political cover. War is hell. The latest Hamas videos from inside Gaza show the terrorist group dressing as civilians to fire on Israelis. Hamas fighters wear civilian clothing, making it impossible for Israel to distinguish between them and the civilian population. They're also in areas that civilians left a long time ago. This, of course, is by design. So the Hamas Health Ministry, which is the numbers that are always quoted, can talk about civilian deaths, which they now claim to number 15,000. With us now, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Good to see you, General. Um, As always, you're you're a military man. You heard the term too many, and we keep hearing that over and over again from the the White House and uh, from other members of the administration. Is too many a military term or a political one? No, that's a, that is purely a political term. I mean, it it depends on which side uh, has set a uh, a number and is willing to go by that. But in terms of uh, that being a, a military strategy or uh, a military uh, process, it is not. Um. There, there's this line from from uh, Vice President Harris being very clear when you saying that innocent civilians should not be intentionally targeted, um, and Israel must do more to protect innocent life. What I'm curious and what I, is interesting to me over the past few months, where we keep hearing this very same thing: too many innocents do more, shouldn't be targeted. I've yet to hear the administration say, well, we have ev- this is exactly what we want the Israelis to do. We want them to do more of this or less of that or we're, we object to this tactic that the Israelis have used. And I'm wondering if that means that there really isn't anything to articulate and these statements should be viewed as political rhetoric rather than, I don't know, military directive. Yeah, so let's look, look at this for a second. Uh, is it a matter of numbers? Is it a matter of time fighting each other? What, what, you know, where do you put your, your priorities there? And I will tell you that the Jews are going to win. They're going to drive out of there. They're going to win. They have no place to go. And that's what people have not accepted yet, especially some of our more liberal people in this country. But I will will say this. Um, As a nation, uh, we have got to stand up for Israel and I don't agree that we need to give them everything they ask for, but we need to. We certainly need to be in consultation with them to be able to give them the things that will enable them. And everything that they want is not necessarily going to enable them. But that's uh, that's my take on this. Yeah. To, to be fair, right? Um, we've been pretty critical of the administration in terms of their rhetoric. We've predicted a lot of this in terms of the hand wringing over. Uh, civilian deaths and blaming Israel than rather than blaming Hamas or Qatar or Iran um, for the deaths of what are innocent civilians um, inside Gaza. That's all that said, Israel's dropped, I think, about 22,000 bombs. Most of those came from the United States. They were F-15 Eagles and F-16 Fighting Falcons dropping those bombs, all American-made weapons. We're continuing to replenish the Iron Dome. From a military perspective, um, is there anything more that we could be doing? Because it, it feels like the administration may be saying one thing and 
doing something very different, and that doing something is supporting Israel. Yes, there is very, very much so uh, things that they can do. The first one is get off the Israelis' back about uh, what we're talking about right now, uh, because they, I believe, and time will tell, I believe they made a mistake by going into this uh, ceasefire and make no mistake, it was a ceasefire. And I think they made a mistake, and, and America pushed them into that. And I think if there's something, if there's one thing that we can do, it is give them what they need to win, but don't hold them back. Let them fight, because this may be the biggest fight we've had in the Middle East. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, General, it's good to see you as always. Thank you. We appreciate the perspective um, as always, sir, if there's anybody who's been, there's anybody who's been there, it's you. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Just take a second, whatever you're doing, and listen. Just stop if you're doing the dishes or finishing eating dinner. Stop cleaning up and just listen to what I'm about to read you. This is part of a letter from IDF Sergeant Major Ben Zussman. He wrote it on his way to battle. Even if something happens to me, I'm not permitting you to sink into sadness. If, God forbid, I fall into the hands of the enemy, I absolutely do not grant permission to negotiate a deal to release me. I left my house without being called to join the reserves. I have always said that if I must die, I want to be for the defense of others and for my country. Zussman died in battle last week. We have linked to the entire letter in War Notes. That's our free daily newsletter that comes out at 4 p.m. Eastern every day with our thoughts about the day's news. Zussman's letter is there in today's note. You can subscribe for free at warnotes.com. We'll also see you on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram and Twitter. Coming up next, 1,300 Americans die every day because they're obese. 1,300. Yet Colorado doesn't want you to talk about that how fat phobia is becoming our new racism. When uh, Adele lost weight, she was excoriated for betrayal. To, to who? She betrayed the unhealthy? <laughs> and new information shows Harvard's president has allegedly a long history of using other people's words, not her own. Harvard's own Bill O'Reilly on his alma mater's fall from grace. See you in a minute, sir. Back, Harvard President Claudine Gay might be next. She's the one in the far right in the graphic over my shoulder. In congressional testimony, she couldn't, well, she just couldn't let herself admit that chance calling for the genocide of Jews was harassment. So in the past few hours, she also denied charges of plagiarism, multiple charges. She's had better days. Billboard trucks now line Harvard Square with her picture, Claudine Gay, the best friend Hamas ever had. Gay's best friends are the Harvard faculty, though, some of whom signed onto a letter saying calls to remove Gay are, quote, at odds with Harvard's commitment to academic freedom and calls on administrators to, quote, defend the independence of the university and, quote, the critical work of defending a culture of free inquiry in our diverse community cannot proceed if we let it be shaped and dictated by outside forces. Aside from donors pulling a billion dollars in pledges, the most powerful outside force is Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. 
Over the weekend, Stefanik celebrated the firing of UPenn's president, who said the same thing. Turns out they all probably got trained by the same people, saying, one down, two to go. Here now, author of Killing Witches, anchor of the No Spin News, the horror of Salem, Massachusetts, Bill O'Reilly. All right, good to see you, sir. You are a Harvard alum. What's your prediction? Um, I think Ms. Gay is done. Um, I don't know if it's fair in the sense that this plagiarism stuff, I think she, uh, she deserves due process on it. Um, you know, this is a witch hunt now against the wishy-washy, hypocritical college presidents. So we have witch hunts all over the place. But here, I'm a simple man. Leland, you've known me for many years. You know how simple I am. If neo-Nazis called for the destruction of the Jewish state on the campus at Harvard, Cambridge, Massachusetts, then those people would have been arrested, not expelled, arrested, okay? So now we have the progressive left calling for Hamas to be let alone, and Hamas wants to exterminate Jews. What is the difference? The difference is ideology, which Ms. Gay embraces with gusto. Yeah. Look, she, she, she advocates a pretty racist ideology as well. Everything is defined by race. Uh, the, the oppressed, the oppressors, on and on and on. Let's look forward, though, and, and you, you've been able to see the, the arc of the culture war for so long. Is this the, the reckoning, if you will, of, of DEI in the same way, say, BLM was the reckoning of race? Is this now going to be the reckoning of DEI? Who, who replaces Claudine Gay? Is it just another search for a, a black woman who, who writes about race? I don't know that. Um, I mean, the board of trustees at all of these universities are uh, left-leaning primarily. There's very few conservative or traditional people that work at any of the major universities, and certainly not on the board of trustees. Um, Ms. Gay is a committed progressive person. That's what Harvard wants, or wanted, but your question is a good one. This is a turning point for the progressive movement. They're on the wrong side. They're on the side of the killers. That's whose side they're on. And people clearly see that was like BLM management in L.A. taking the $90 million in donations and buying lavish homes for themselves. What else do you need? Do you need anything else? So it is a turning point. The progressives are falling apart. Their hand-picked President Joe Biden is absolutely self-destructing. The fact that he will not even negotiate about the border when Ukraine and Israel aid hangs in the balance shows you how incompetent Joe Biden is. He simply doesn't care. He's going to keep that border open no matter what. Yeah, we, we talked about it. It is literally yeah, no, we, we talked about shocking. The, I the, saw it. Yeah, I know. Well, what was funny to me is I asked Bill Cassidy, who I, I think is a pretty, you know, as politicians go, a pretty honorable guy. I said, all right, when you get Chris Murphy and other Democrats back, back you know, in a corner and say, hey, like, what's really going on here? They won't even they won't even talk about it. They won't even negotiate. No, the the, the they issue. They pull a Gavin Newsom. Yeah, the, the they, pull, issue, they pull a Gavin Newsom. Like we don't want to talk. Wait, hey, let me just make one point. Go all ahead. right. Tonight, tonight, 
Biden's, you know, making money in Philly tonight. That's what he is a Hanukkah thing tonight. He could sit at his little desk in the Oval Office and write an executive order that says very simply, again, I'm a simple man. The United States will not take any more applications of for asylum for 12 months because we are so backlogged and overwhelmed. We will not take any more applications for asylum for a year. That would put it to rest. Boom. Stops. Is that hard? No. No, it's no. Not. The, deal, the deal is very simple to make. I want to get back, though, to the DEI thing, because we were, we were, going, we were going down the road of, is, is this the end of DEI? You say they're on the side of the killers. Fareed Zakaria um, has been getting a lot of praise for what he said on Sunday about what universities should do. I thought you might have some thoughts on it. Take a listen. America's top colleges are no longer seen as bastions of excellence, but partisan outfits, which means they will keep getting buffeted by these political storms as they emerge. They should abandon this long misadventure into politics, retrain their gaze on their core strengths, and rebuild their reputations as centers of research and learning. Am I being too cynical to think that when there was BLM and even many years before that, it was universities that were going to be the center of progressivism? And now suddenly when there's a cause where the progressives are on the side of the killers, as you said, now now universities should all take a step back. Well, he's late to the table, but his analysis is correct. This began during the Vietnam War this whole thing in the late 60s, early 70s. I was at Boston U getting a master's in broadcast journalism at the time. And it has progressed to 2023, now to the tune where 97% of Harvard professors are liberal. Self-proclaimed, 97%. You cannot run an educational institution in that way. Look, I went to Marist College, Leland, to get a history degree. I'm overeducated. I got two masters and one BA. Marist College, when, back when I was there during the Vietnam War, was a working class bastion. It gave kids like me from a working class home in Levittown an opportunity. It was a fabulous school. And even during the Vietnam turmoil, it maintained, all right, at least some decorum of fairness. Marist College is a lunatic asylum now. <laughs> That's how much it's changed. It's not just Harvard. It's not just Columbia, no, Cornell, MIT. Right. It's everywhere. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, Bill, uh, we're going to see you soon. We're also going to see you before the end of the year for a segment on um, Killing the Witches, because I think you were, you were way ahead of the time, uh, as you usually are. Thank you. Um, with the book. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Uh, speaking okay. of the coming culture wars, Colorado will soon ban fat discrimination. And there's an irony, because Colorado is the least fat state in America. New Jersey and Washington, D.C. Could, could soon join Colorado in passing legislation against fat discrimination. And a recent study from the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance indicated that 78% of the public supports banning size discrimination. Consider the source. The U.S. spends a whopping $147 billion a year just on obesity-related health care, and so the obesity rate continues to grow. Employment attorney Andrew Lieb is with us now. So how does this work, Andrew? And I'm trying to figure out the practicalities of it, because it's one thing you, you can't say I'm not going to hire you because you're fat or, or not fat, 
But then how does it work for airlines that fly into Colorado or companies that say, look, um, you may be a nice person, but you're too fat to lift heavy boxes in a warehouse? Well, Leland, it's a great point, and it's a very complex issue, but let's put out there to start off with that if your weight is needed for the job, if you need to be a certain weight for the job, this isn't going to apply. This is applying for me just out of nowhere being cruel and saying, I don't want fatty here, or me using names like fatty, a hostile environment. Imagine every day coming to the work, and I just teased you, Leyland. I just, every day you came in, I would just mess with you because I think you're too short or you're too tall or you're too fat or you're a Christian or you're Jewish. And really the point here is if well, it's unrelated on, you, to the you, you job, just, you just said unrelated a couple to the job. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but um, if somebody wants to make fun of me because I'm short or because I'm tall, um, or because I eat Chick-fil-A every day, th- those aren't protected things, right? But if I'm Jewish or Christian um, or the, the color of my skin, those are protected things. So does that all of a sudden, so that means that now talking to somebody about obesity, that that is a protected thing. That's different than tall or short, right? Well, you just nailed it, but I will point out that New York City, who came out with this law first, did height and weight together. So that's why I conflate uh. the two. But yes, it's the same thing as putting it in the category of race or putting it in the category of religion. And what they're saying is this doesn't deserve to be in the workplace. You shouldn't make decisions based on this. So they're putting them in the exact same category, Leland. All right, so how does this work, though, for employers? And look, we have communities with anti-fat shaming legislation. You point out that New York um, is among the first. But now there's a number of other states that are considering this. Uh, um, that... Is an employer, I say, wait a second, I own a gym, I want people who have a healthy image. I uh, own a smoothie company, and we're selling smoothies that are for people who want to uh, have this healthy, thin lifestyle and, and exercise. And be. How is it that you're going to be forced to hire people who don't represent the same uh, lifestyle that your business is involved in? I think it depends on what the person's job's gonna be at the gym. If your person at the gym is gonna be the trainer, you might have a very good reason that it wouldn't qualify as discrimination. It's kind of like going back to the Hooters thing where they were allowed to determine on sex who was gonna be working there because there's a reason sometimes. But what about the accountant for the gym? Does it matter what the accountant's body size is? That's what this is getting at. Do you well, think that I we mean, should I, not I, have an accountant I, I, I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds. My question would be, and this is something you have to got to deal with, right, is that based on health care costs and everything else, the amount, of, the amount it costs for a company to have an obese person can be a lot more. 100%. And that's definitely an issue. But the real question is, and I have a master's in public health, are we going to have an intervention from shaming someone into losing weight? Or is it going to be mm. positive, uplifting, and giving them resources to get a better life and improve health for everyone overall, Leyland? So everyone's against shaming fat people, but it also we're pro-helping everyone have a healthier life. That's really the key. Right, fair enough. Why do we have to have discrimination? All right, fair enough. No, it's a good conversation in one, uh, one for 49 more states. Good to see you. Coming up next, 16-year-old cheerleader in Texas becomes a casualty of the Biden administration's broken immigration policies. Maybe the president isn't the only one to blame here. That when we come back. Back now to our top story, the showdown on Capitol Hill over Ukraine and border funding. Texas police have arrested an illegal immigrant in the murder of 16-year-old cheerleader named Elizabeth Medina. Her mother found her on December 5th. The suspect 
is Rafael Romero, who officials say is in the United States as an illegal alien. Congressman Michael Waltz of Florida joining us now. We had Bill Cassidy on a little bit earlier. All right, Congressman, uh, is this going to be the reckoning at some point now between the Ukraine aid and border funding that is going to finally force this issue? One would hope, Leland, and my, my heart breaks for the Medina family and you know, frankly, my heart breaks for the, the victims of MS-13. And I mean, just do the math on 3 million people per year, 15 million people since uh, Biden has come into office by the time the end of his first term. Uh, and, you know, my heart breaks for the, according to Doctors Without Borders, 40 percent of girls that are trafficked across are either sexually assaulted and or sold into human trafficking. So I don't know what it's going to take. Hopefully this is it for the Biden administration to wake up uh, and, and secure our border. And furthermore, the FBI director is ringing the alarm bells in classified hearings and closed hearings and in public that he has nearly 300 people on the terrorist watch list that they don't know where they are. They're tracking them down all over the United States or trying at least and just from a point of perspective, that was compared to 11 under the entire last administration. So wow. I, I, I don't know what else to do except take something uh, that we should be all supporting, which is stopping Putin, and using that as a leverage moment to secure our own border. Yeah. That, that's what we talked to Senator Cassidy about, right? In that there's a lot of Republicans, yourself included, the senator as well, who've been very outspoken about the need uh, to fund Ukraine, that it's a national security imperative of the United States, and then effectively using it as leverage. Then it becomes a political issue um, and a political a political pawn, hot potato, whatever you want to call it, to try to get influence over the administration on this. The, the fear I've heard from a lot of Republicans is that Republicans have tried this before, uh, but they've always gone squishy, right? Um, when, when it really comes down to brass tacks, Republicans have caved on a number of things when you talk about the infrastructure bill, Build Back Better, whatever you want to call about um, the debt ceiling, uh, on and on and on. What, what is the way to get the Biden administration's attention that you guys aren't going to go squishy this time? Well, Leland, I, I, frankly, I, I would push back on your characterization. Uh, this isn't about politics. This is about national security. Our border is about national security. And when you have people from 170 countries flowing across unvetted, we have no idea where they are, and the FBI director is ringing the alarm bells, uh, I, I guess it's going to take, what, a Pulse nightclub, who the shooter was also on the terrorist watch list, a San Bernardino, or God help us, another 9-11. Uh, this is about national security. And when I go home to my voters, they don't look at it just Ukraine or just Israel. They look at the whole picture. They look at inflation. They look at what they're spending in their lives. They look at our border unsecured and then say, wait a minute, where are our priorities? Uh, so I think that's the conversation. But let's just take the Ukraine conversation. I have been supportive of stopping Putin in an emergency situation in the early days of the war. But now Biden has dithered us and slow rolled us by not giving the Ukrainians what they need to win into a stalemate that's going to be long and cost costly. And he can't answer the basic questions mm. of what does success look like? What's the end state? What's the strategy to get there? And how many times are you going to come to the American people and tell them to dig deeper in their pockets instead of the Europeans or others who are so directly affected? So sit the border thing aside. 
I have real questions now about what our strategy is yeah, in Ukraine enough. and whether Biden has failed us and backpedaled us uh, into a horrible situation that's going to go on endlessly at this point. Well, there's, there's no plan to end it, so endlessly seems to be where it's headed. Uh, Congressman, we appreciate your time. We apologize. We're a few minutes late tonight. Uh, please send our regards to your wife in that regard. Thank you. And our apologies. Uh, coming Will up do. next, I have Thanks a great anyway. stock market tip. Follow your congressman's, in fact, one specific congresswoman's trades, and you too can get rich when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For all the things that Congress is bad at, and there is a very long list, stock picking isn't one of them. In fact, in their spare time, congressmen are remarkably efficient at beating even the most savvy investment managers in the market, and now you can be too. Nancy Pelosi's up 50% this year. The rest of Congress is up about 20%. These are returns that Warren Buffett would dream about. The Daily Mail reports Quiver Quantitative figured out a way to create a fund that follows the financial disclosures of members of Congress. When they make money, you make money. Cuomo is here. All right, so you're a lawyer, right? Yes. If Congress trades on inside information, which we all know they kind of like get some, you know, inside little hints here and there, they see where things are going. And then you trade on Congress's disclosed trades. Is that still insider trading? No, because they didn't communicate anything to you. It is, of course, illegal for them to trade on inside information. It's illegal for anybody to trade on inside uh, information. There was a bipartisan group uh, that introduced an act to ban members of their Congress Mm -hmm. and their families from trading individual stocks. This is one of the WTF kind of things. Uh, It's kind of like when we were going through the insurance uh, debacle during Obamacare, and it turned out that like Congress had like the best care in the world, you know. And meanwhile, they're denying everybody else. There is absolutely no way you should have any idea where your money is being invested when you are a sitting member of Congress. It is a no-brainer conflict. Yeah. And the fact that it isn't as absolute as that is appalling. And for all the things that they want to point the finger at. They never pointed at themselves and how it benefits them. This is crazy. Yeah, actually, if we had more time, there's one specific trade of some guy trading options on Microsoft. Like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what what (laughs) perhaps he... he, Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, no, I, I look, I completely agree with you, especially on the, you know, in, in that bipartisan bill went absolutely nowhere. You're great to point it out. Um, we will, uh, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow. Have a great show. But yeah, Bill O'Reilly took off all your time. Blame him. Coming up next, when Taylor Swift talks about dads, brads, and chads, is she suggesting they are the new deplorables? How America's biggest pop star just tipped her hand about 2024. Last night, Taylor Swift attended the Kansas City Chiefs game. It's her first time since Time Magazine named her their person of the year, where she responded to criticism of all the 
TV shot showing her watching the game. I'm just there to support Travis, meaning Travis Kelsey, her boyfriend. I have no awareness of if I am being shown too much and pissing off a few dads, brads, and chads. Headline for the Kansas City Star, Taylor Swift calls angry NFL fans dads, brads, and chads. Swifties are loving it. Dads, brads, and chads is actually the grammatically correct collective noun for a group of men whose opinions don't matter. Swift's dads, brads, and chads sounds like a few other people describing a group of men whose opinions, well, they found scornful. You could put half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. And they feel so betrayed by government. I've been telling you for a while, Swift will be a major player in the 2024 election. Culture editor at The Federalist, Emily Jashinsky, in studio. It's great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, as I look at this, I'm, I'm thinking of that old line, never punch down. Mm. Why insult the dads and brothers of all your fans? I have no idea, and I think she feels defensive because this narrative has been so huge over the last couple of months and to the point where she's, like, uncomfortable with it, doesn't know what to do with it. But I would say this is something she should be careful not to repeat in the future because men don't have a lot of places anymore where they're just for men. And the NFL is really one of the last places where guys feel like they can just hang out together without having to deal with uh, their girlfriends wanting to watch. Like, they just want these, like, three hours on Saturday. And Sunday, by the way. On Sunday. Uh, well, depending on, you know, maybe sometimes college they want their college. Right, okay. Yeah. But I think about this, though. The only thing that's more popular than Taylor Swift in America may be the NFL. Yes. Really? And at some level, you know, She's already a billionaire. She's already selling out stadiums. When you punch down, people get angry. It just feels a little wrong. And the second iteration of that is, this is a woman who I think almost certainly at some level is going to play a role in 2024, right? No, no, I think you're absolutely right. This actually reminds me of the music video she did for her song, You Need to Calm Down. This was probably back in 2016 or 17, where she mocked uh, essentially like Christians as toothless rubes, like literally the people in the video were all... So this wasn't a mistake. It was completely calculated, literally scripted, and it was, it felt so, like so classist from Taylor Swift, somebody who really pretended to be this, like, southern, you know, she doesn't have an accent anymore, and I, you know, I'm trying, Leland, not to go after Taylor Swift too much right now, because I think she has... Because you want to save your Twitter account? No, no, <laughs> believe me, I've done this on the wrong, I've gotten on the wrong side of the, her fans before, but, like, you know, people really do like her. To your point, there's a monocultural element of Taylor Swift fandom that does not exist in this country outside, like, Taylor 